Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I want to spend a few moments of our time on how to remain sweethearts. And uh, I believe that to be important. We've kind of been on the home uh, off and on a little bit. And uh, last week we, we was preaching on, on uh, communicating the right organizational structure in the home. And uh, we, we boiled that down that uh, God should be first in our lives and God should be first in our homes and how to set things right. And now this week, uh, I want to, being it's close to Valentine's, and I said it right. Generally, I say Valentine's. I've done that my whole life since I've been a kid. And Jenny corrected me the other day. It's, it's really Valentine with an N, not an M. Oh, okay. All right, sounds good. <laughs> I guess maybe that was one of those little things that might annoy her or something. I, I don't know. Uh, you see if you get any more candy from me. Now, <laughs> but I think that's Wednesday, is it not? All right, Wednesday. All right, so uh, Wednesday, men, that'll be uh, gift day. Don't forget. Don't let it sneak up on you. And, uh, and then we'll talk about it next week, how good you did. So, but don't forget about your spouse, your sweetheart. But this morning, I want to uh, speak to a few things on, on uh, maybe putting the right focus in the hearts, uh, in our homes, in, in our hearts, so that we can remain sweethearts. And, and uh, Jen and I, we've been married 33 years now. And of course, for some of this, I talked with a gentleman, Brother John Ricketts, uh, uh, he'd been married 58 years, and I got a few uh, pointers from him. Uh, and uh, the first thing he told me, he says, well, if, if you want to remain sweethearts, the first thing you really need to realize is everything that's hers is hers and everything that's yours is hers. And he says, when, when you got that figured out and you acknowledge that, you're, you're all going to get along great. And so uh, I said, okay, well, well, Brother John, I, I actually already have that point down. I, I, I kind of figured that one out. After 33 years, I said, can you give me anything else, you know? And, and he did. We'll talk about a few of those things this morning. But I thought Ephesians chapter 4, uh, classically, you would do to Ephesians 5 and preach out of Ephesians 5. But I'm going to preach out of Ephesians 4. We will read verse 1 and 2 in chapter 5, but I'm going to read in chapter 4, starting about verse 20. I believe there's a lot of good information here for us that will help our relationships in the home, especially between husband and wife, and how to remain a sweethearts. And he says here in verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ, and he says, If so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, here's where I begin to get some of the material information on, on helping us remain sweethearts or having a better relationship in the home. And he says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, 
but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you now. Lord, uh, help us today from the Word of God. We want to spend a few moments of our time uh, on, on the marriage relationship in the home. And Lord, uh, our intent is how can we remain sweethearts and not be bogged down with bitterness or hurt feelings or a, a cold uh, relationship, but uh, a sweetheart relationship. Now, Lord, sometimes uh, uh, it's just because people aren't saved. If there are any that is not saved today, let them see the need that they need you in their life. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. The evidence is convincing that the better our relationships are at home, the more effective we are in our careers. If we're having difficulty with a loved one, that difficulty will be translated into reduced performance on the job. In studying the millionaires in America, I get this out of the U.S. News and World Report, a picture of the typical millionaire is an individual who has worked 8 to 10 hours a day for 30 years and is still married to his or her high school or college sweethearts. And uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Now, I got another quote, and it's by an unknown, and it says, The greatest gift that a father can give to his children is to love their mother. And I agree with that. Uh, that. That is important. And so uh, that's what brings me to the idea, how do we remain sweethearts in the home? Uh, especially, you know, I hear this a lot. Uh, people said, well, you know, we've been married, you know, 30 years, 40 years, you know, whatever, big deal. Uh, you know, he does his thing. I do my things. And, and you can tell just by actually talking with them, spending time with them, their love has grown cold. Uh, it is not like a first love situation. It has grown stale. And I believe that when that happens, it is the breeding grounds for the devil to enter in and begin to wreak havoc in that relationship. And so I went to the Bible. Uh, there must be a remedy or a recipe that we could use or we could apply uh, to remain sweethearts uh, or to have that sweetheart relationship between the husband and the wife. And, and how can we keep that relationship growing? 
I believe there's a lot of relationships that are not growing relationships. They're not building anything. And so you have both people that are constantly taking from each other, taking and taking and taking and never giving and giving. And I'll tell you this, that marriage is more about giving than it is taking. So often I find in relationships or marriages, let me, let me put it to there, that uh, uh, one, if not both of the spouses uh, have no ideal or have no thought in their mind about giving. It's all about, uh, they want to take. It's all about taking. It's not about building. It's not about growing together. But it's just about, it's, 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 it's like a roommate. Just a roommate. You do your thing, I do my thing. We'll meet somewhere in the middle over a bowl of cereal in the evening. And that's not really a good relationship. That's not how God intended it to be. I can truly tell you that after 33 years of marriage, I'm more in love with my wife today than I was when we first got married. Uh, I, I like her for her good attributes, but I also like the flaws in her, uh, what, what makes her her and unique. Uh, I, I like that. And you learn after those years, you learn to love those things also about that individual. And you say, well, how would we or how could a person be able to maintain that type of relationship, keep it fresh, keep it vibrant, and keep it growing and going forward. And I think, number one, I believe chapter 5, uh, in verse 1 and verse 2, I believe gives us a clue to our first points. And my first point is going to be, if you want to remain sweethearts between the husband and wife, you're going to have to remain sweet on Jesus. He says there in verse 1, he says, be therefore followers of God as dear children. Uh, we said last week that the husband must be in submission to Christ. If the husband expects the wife to be in submission or be the head of the wife, he himself must be in submission to Christ. I have to deal with that quite often. Men always come to me with that complaint. Well, she's just not, uh, she's not, doesn't listen to anything I say. And, and, and I say, well, do you listen to what God has to say? Are you in submission to Christ and what the Word of God has told you to do, what your responsibility is? And of course, I either get the blank look or no or never thought about it like that and that is a big problem you cannot expect your wife to follow you if you're not following Christ and he says be followers of God as dear children now watch this in verse 2 and walk in love you see that that word in that I in that means there's going to be some boundaries uh, think about it like this uh, it's in is spelled I-N. Ink, I-N-K, is in the pen. So when you think and you see this little word in, I-N, it's different than on, it's in. He says walk in love. That means you're, you have some boundaries. You're to be inside of Christ. You're going to have to be sweet on Jesus. It's important that you grow in grace together. 
Uh, we see that verse this morning there in 1 Peter where he says, Grow in grace and knowledge. And here in the husband and wife relationship, uh, God wants us and wants you uh, to grow in grace with your spouse. That means praying together, reading your Bible together, giving to God's ministry together, serving in ministry or in service to God in your local church together. And so you're going to have to be closer to Jesus. You say, boy, how do I do that? Although uh, the closer to Jesus you are, and I've learned this by experience, the sweeter you're going to be. The closer you can walk to Christ, the closer you can follow Christ, the sweeter you as a spouse are going to be to your other spouse. The more sacrificial you'll be because you cannot spend time with Christ and not have a sacrificial nature. Marriage is about sacrifice. It's about giving. And your goal... Now, this probably don't speak by commandment or the Word of God, but Jen and I have fun with what I'm getting ready to say because we're at the age where sometimes we talk about one of us passing away and, and the question, well, would you, would you marry someone else? And, 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 of course, men, if you want the right answer, on it's no, you would not. Ladies, it's no, you would not. But Jen, Jen and I, because all of you all know she spoils me to death, and I found out why. You as a spouse, your goal should be to spoil your spouse so much that no one else could stand them. Guess what? <laughs> uh, I got a bad case of that. I'm spoiled so bad that no one else could, could even stand me to be around me. And that should be your goal. I mean, does not Christ say there in chapter 5, and uh, verse uh, uh, 23, 24, 27, where he says that he cherisheth us and nourisheth us? Does not Christ spoil us rotten? Do we not have many blessings this morning? I, I mean, we could be in a war zone where not we could be in Gaza we're not thank God we could be in Ukraine we're not we're in America uh, we was free to come and go as we please and God has just spoiled us rotten has he not and so our goals if we are to remain sweethearts in our marriage we should set a goal to spoil our spouse so much that nobody else could stand them I believe that keeps you sweethearts now, that's a two-way street. That means I got to spoil Jen, too. And, and I do. I spoil her. I, I want to spoil her so rotten that nobody else could stand her because she's got a high expectation of how she wants to be treated. I believe that keeps uh, that uh, marriage sweet and keeps uh, sweethearts. But then I also believe that not only should we be closer to Jesus, and we need to be sweet on Jesus, we need to be in submission to Christ. And he says, walk in love. And, 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 and to have those boundaries. And we should not go out of our way to offend one another in our marriages. 
or to say hurtful words. We've seen the text that we need to put away that corrupt communication. We should not be using harsh words to our spouse and reference to our spouses. And something that hit me while I was reading through the text, it's not in the message, but I will give it to you. He says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Let me give you a good rule for marriage. Do not go to bed angry with each other. Don't go to bed mad at each other. You resolve that thing before you go to sleep. You say, well, <laughs> that might keep me up past my bedtime. Mm -hmm. It sure might. Sure might. But he says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your, what's he say, wrath. That means you shouldn't be going to bed angry with your spouse. I mean, he's talking now, your direct context is talking about your relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But if it applies to your other brothers and sisters in Christ, how much more so to your spouse? Don't go to bed angry with each other. You resolve that thing. You, you get that thing right and I, I was reading some other things this morning early, uh, and this gentleman had been married over 60 years. And, and they asked him, well, what is the secret to your marriage? And his point, which actually sparked this thought, was never go to bed mad at your spouse. But number two, don't be so full of pride that you can't say you're sorry. Don't be so full of yourself that you can't say you're sorry. What's he say down there in verse 32? That's why I picked my text here. It says, be kind one to another. How much more so is that to apply to our spouses? If you and I, and we're not family, I say we are, and we are, we're spiritual family, and I like our church to operate as a family, but how much more important is it that we treat our spouses in kindness? one to another. How much more important and be tender-hearted with one another. I, I like brother, I was asking brother Dave about that. I don't mean to put you on the spot because I believe what you said was good advice. Uh, boy, now you might have, it, it, it was there and it flew off. Got it. It come back. I got it. I got it. I got it. He says, one of the secrets is assume that your spouse has good intentions with the decision they made. You know, that gave me some problems in my early years. Jen would do something we might not have discussed, might have spent a little more money than I thought we should have, and I always went, she has evil intentions. She's just trying to make it harder on me. I'm going to have to work more overtime. I'm going to have to do this. And you know, that can be the source of bitterness in a relationship. Assume and learn how to assume that your spouse has good intentions. Now, look, if you have a... I need to, I need to stop right here because I'm reading the crowd. And I, I know you all. This applies to both parties. If you have one party that is hell-bent on being abusive, being evil, and wanting to be wicked, and they want you to do all the giving and want you to do all the making up, 
and you gotta you gotta walk the chalk, but they don't. We're not talking about that, okay? Uh, that's a complete different situation. I'm talking about a marriage that is actually operating and, and operating pretty good, but it could operate better. But both people are at a hundred percent on making it go. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100 percent out of both parties, the man, the husband, and the woman, the wife. It's 100 to 100. 100 to 100. It can't it's not 50-50. That's already got you in bad water. A marriage is 100 100 out of both parties. Now let me get you the second point. I wanted to clear that up because you could be in a bad situation like, okay, so I got to be more forgiving. I got to, well, yeah, we need to be forgiving and tenderhearted, but we're not talking about giving an excuse for sins. Okay? We're not talking about uh, somebody being wrapped up in the sin and, and not wanting to work that out and you got to try. Mm, not good. We're talking about how to remain a sweethearts. We're talking about a marriage that is operating pretty good, but it could be better. Second, second point, show due benevolence. Now, this is more of a mindset. When you wake up every morning as a husband or a wife, and my proof verse on that, and we could pull it out of here, but a better proof verse is 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 and 2 right in there. Do benevolence. Benevolence is the disposition to do good. Goodwill, kindness, charitableness, accompanied with a desire to promote their happiness. See, if you want to remain sweethearts, you got to wake up every day and look at your spouse and you need to understand that you owe them. There is a bill due. The Bible says you render due benevolence to your spouse. There's a bill due. And that's a mindset. A lot of times people don't have that mindset. They're like, I don't owe you anything. You owe me. And that's that entitlement mentality. We should not have that mentality with our spouses. You owe them. I owe Jenny a due benevolence. She owes me. We wake up every day and we compare notes. What does she need? What do I need? Because I know I owe her. She knows she owes me. As I said last week, God uh, has not created the human being yet that can meet all of your needs, but God has given you a spouse to meet some of your needs. And our mindset as Christians and spouses is that we owe our spouse. Now, what do we owe our spouse? Well, number one in verse 29 here in Ephesians 4, we, we owe openness, to be open with one another. Uh, let no corrupt communication precede out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And you see, verse 28 would go along with that. Verse 25, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. In your marriage, if you're to remain a sweetheart, you're going to have to learn how to be open with one another. 
It's not going to work if you're not open. Men, your wife needs to know what's going on in your head. As men, uh, we, we suppress a lot of times. Uh, as men, we hold things in. We might be struggling. A lot of times men struggle right during a midlife, you know, around in the 40s to 50s, sometimes in the 60s, and they begin to struggle. They realize they're not the man they once were. And they hold all that in. The wife's trying to figure out what in the world's going on. Men, and I speak specifically to the men because they're not as vocal as the ladies, you need to learn how to be open with your spouse. You should not have to try to guess what's going on. And if you're struggling with something, you need to share it with her because you're a team. You're a team. Your team. And ladies, it applies to you too. Uh, don't be so secretive. Uh, don't uh, portray one thing but feel another way. Learn to be open with your spouse. Learn how to be honest. He says there in verse 25, put away lying. Learn how to be honest. That's a big one in the day and age we live in. So often we want to mischaracterize the truth. And when you begin to twist it, it turns into a lie. Learn how to be honest with your spouse. Your spouse shouldn't have to find out two or three years later that you were not happy with a particular decision. In the moment, they said they were, and then later, they weren't. And the truth comes out, and it creates a bitter situation, arguing, fighting, uh, you're not going to be able to remain sweethearts if that's going on. There cannot be lying. Matter of fact, there should not be lying to one another. He says, put away the lying. Be honest with one another. He asks us to be honest with our neighbor. How much more should we be honest with our spouse? Lying, according to the Bible, is a bad sin. And lying to your spouse is literally will destroy your marriage. It's a foolish thing to do, and it begins to pluck down. Think of your house, your spouse, your husband and wife. Maybe you have children, and it has stones that help build it up. And, 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 and when you begin to this lying, you're literally taking stones of confidence out of that relationship, and you're destroying. You're eventually going to get down to where there's nothing left but a destroyed house. No lying. You owe your spouse to be honest. You owe your spouse to be open. You owe your spouse, and above all, verse 32, learn how to be a good forgiver. Learn how to be a good forgiver. Let me give you a little insight on forgiveness I know oftentimes we say, well, okay, I forgive them, I forgive them. And then two years later, you bring it back up. If that happens, you weren't forgiving. Four years later, five years later, six years later, then you never forgave to begin with. You've not been honest and you've not been open. Forgiveness, sometimes people get in their mind that forgiveness is I got to pretend it didn't happen. No, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is you passing on your right to pass judgment on someone else. Because you're going to pass that judgment 
and that right to judge to a higher power, which in our case would be God. That's forgiveness. It's not that a wrong has not been done. It's not that you were in the right, someone else was in the wrong. But forgiveness is passing on that right to get your pound of flesh, to get what's owed you. And in a marriage, it's especially true because there's no perfect people. Learn to be a forgiver. You need to know this. No real relationship is without conflict. It, have you ever heard the people say, oh, we've never argued. That's coming from people that do not have a real relationship. A real relationship will have conflict. Now, I'm not saying knock down drag outs, arguments, hollering, screaming, dish throwing. That, that's, that's inappropriate. But you cannot have a real relationship without some conflict. And here's why. There's no two people that think exactly alike. You're going to have different opinions. A lot of times it happens when it comes to child discipline. <laughs> I mean, you're just not going to see things the same way. And you've got to learn. got to learn how to be open with one another, honest, and be forgiving. And work with one another. You're going to have those conflicts, but you need to be able to resolve those conflicts. And the first step is to be forgiving. Forgiving, tenderhearted. What's he say here? Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? He gives us an example. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We've been forgiven much, have we not? Why, cannot, why can we not forgive a spouse? If two people are truly open and honest with one another, there will be disagreements on certain issues. If a marriage is to last, you must learn to forgive and forget. Got to be able to put it behind you. See, but you don't know what they've done. I, I got it. I got it. I got it. And I understand I'm not privy to every situation that maybe you might have been in. And every situation is different. I'm talking about a general marriage dealing with general problems like maybe a conflict over where, where are we going to church or a conflict over where are we sending the children to school, a conflict over how, how we, I'm not talking about the other side of life. We can deal with that in a private meeting if that's some of the problem, but learn how to be forgiving. God has forgiven us. We should learn to be forgiving if we want to remain sweethearts. Lastly of all, I believe it's important, you need to learn how to speak your spouse's love language. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So he's talking about speaking more so in our home, I mean, if you're full of malice and bitterness and hatred and anger, you're not speaking no love language. You're not speaking tenderly. You're not going to remain sweethearts for long. There are five major love languages that you should be aware of. And I challenge you, your husband and wife teams, you need to know each other's love language, your primaries and your secondaries. 
And husbands, have you ever felt like sometimes you just can't get through to your wife? You tried to do something nice, and she just, it just, it didn't go down the way you thought. She didn't receive it the way you thought. And maybe, ladies, you've done the same thing. You say, I thought what I did was nice, and I would have been thanked or I'd been appreciated. And you're like, I just can't seem to connect. It's like we're speaking two different languages. Well, we're emotional creatures. And there are five love languages. And each person will have a primary dialect. I'll give you the five love languages. Number one, physical touch. Two, words of affirmation. Some people, their whole world, the whole day can be made if someone comments positively or gives them a word of affirmation like you did a good job or you look really nice today or I appreciate you. They don't want to, they don't want a gift and gift is another one, gifts. Sometimes we might give our spouse a, a, a box of chocolates and it just doesn't go over real well. Maybe she might say, what, do you think I'm fat? You think I'm too skinny? Uh, and don't, don't buy clothes. <laughs> don't buy clothes. <laughs> He's like, what? It's men, it's just better give her the money, let her buy it, cash app her, whatever you got to do. Because that can go wrong. And you say, why? Why is that? You're not speaking their primary love language. There's another one, acts of service. That happens to be my primary love language and then physical Dutch, one of the two there. Now, Jen's primary is uh, acts of service. And what's the second one? It is, ain't it? Words of affirmation. How would I forget that? Now, me, you can tell me you love me all day long. It's going to go in one ear and out the other. It's like you're speaking in Russian dialect to me. I, 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 don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't comprehend that. It doesn't mean nothing to me. But when Jen brings me my first cup of coffee in the morning, my whole day's right. You say, why? It's an act of service. And that's speaking my language. Now I know that she's, she loves me. And she wants to remain a sweetheart. I don't want to hear words. Words are cheap to me. Now, words might be very important to you. And that might be your primary love language, words of affirmation. Maybe it's a gift. Some people's primary love language is a gift. You get them a gift. Maybe your spouse likes a gift. Now, we have the potential to speak all five of these love languages. Now, there's one more. Quality time. Now, every human being has emotional needs. And most marriages end because the emotional needs of a spouse were not being met. And someone else stepped in and met the need. You owe your spouse. And God is, has put you in their life to help meet some of their emotional needs. You need to learn your spouse's love language because you owe them a due benevolence. Now, I keyed in on quality time and why, is that was one of the things that Brother John Ricketts keyed in on. He says something that him and Sister Abby did when they were dating, and we're talking 58 years ago, is they would, Friday night was date night. But after they got married, Friday night was still date night. 
And he said, you know, as a young family, and we didn't have a lot of money, we had children. He said, we still went out on a date Friday night. And he said, I'll tell you what we did. Sometimes we were so poor that all we could afford was a bottle of water and a pack of crackers. And we'd go and drive around and talk. But Friday night is date night. That's quality time. Now, I advise you to begin to work and to uh, cultivate all five of these love languages. But married couples, to remain sweethearts, you need no less than one night a week that is still date night. And if you can't afford nothing else but a bottle of water and a pack of crackers, you still need to do that. You need time invested into each other if you're going to remain sweethearts. Brother John believed that it was one of the reasons him and Abby had been married so long. It wasn't that they didn't have conflict. They, they knew how to resolve it, but they knew they owed each other. And I asked him, I said, do you know anything about the five love languages? He just laughed at me. Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. You know, marriage is an amazing adventure. It's not a perfect adventure, but it is an amazing one. You need to fully commit to the Lord and to one another. And I said this to somebody this week. Relax and enjoy the journey. We have so much trouble relaxing. Relax. Enjoy the journey. Because you're going to wake up one day and your spouse could be gone because of death. Jen and I talk about that often. We're not expecting anything bad, but a few years back, we made it a point to begin to enjoy our time together and enjoy our company together and to take time out for us, even as busy as we get. We still have a day, and we set a day aside, and we go on little adventures because we need that time. If you want to remain sweethearts, you're going to have to be sweet on Jesus you're going to have to uh, render due benevolence. And you're going to have to speak, learn to speak your spouse's love language. Those three things, I believe, from the Word of God, it's like a recipe, will help you to remain sweethearts. And in my mind's eyes, forever. Biblical.